Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all. Um, same as last service, there's like this spitting section in the, in the front here, so I guess nobody wants to get within like 10 feet of the, the preacher, so I won't spit on you. Um, uh, if you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to open it to the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 6 this morning. Uh, we're taking a little break from our Gospel of John series, and um, we thought on family weekend it would be nice to uh, talk a little bit about family. Um, when I was uh, eight years old, I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle. I legitly thought that could happen. Um, and uh, my family uh, at the time, we lived in the countryside. So uh, we, we had, you know, lots of forest around us and uh, went to this little country school. And I would actually walk there. Can you imagine that? Kids actually walking themselves to school. That's um, what we all used to do, right? And so I would walk to school quite a, quite a distance. And after school, I would run home and... Because the Ninja Turtles were going to come on TV like at three o'clock. So I had to be there and I had to watch uh, the show. And I would stand in front of the screen. I would stand, not sit. And I would do the moves and like say all the words to the theme song. Um, yeah, I was transfixed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what one picture I have as a kid, I am dressed head to toe in turtle gear. Like every article of clothing is Ninja Turtles. When the movie came out, I think it was the year was like 1990, uh, I was just elated. And I thought, there's going to be a movie. And so we went to the theater and watched the movie. I can still remember going to see it. And there, he, there they were, Leonardo, Donatello, Michelangelo, Raphael on the big screen. Uh, and, and, and when it came out on video, not DVD, right, videotape, uh, I watched it 17 times in one week. <laughs> and I would, I would stand in front of the TV and I would practice, I would mimic, I would imitate everything that the turtles were doing. I would practice on my brothers and then they'd beat me up. Fast forward to last fall. My son, Ben, turned eight. So I exposed him to the Ninja Turtles movie, the original, okay, the original. And I wanted to see what he would think about this. So, you know, watch the movie. Movie ended. I said, son, what do you think? Is it good? He looked at me seriously. And he didn't say a word. His expression grew serious. He rose to his feet. And instead of walking away, he ninja rolled over the ottoman and he began punching the air and doing all his karate moves like father, like son, right? Uh, we're great imitators, aren't we? Uh, that's what children do. Children imitate. Uh, they imitate what they see going on around them. They practice. That's how they learn. Uh, that's how human beings learn. Uh, some people have said uh, the ancient Greeks actually thought that culture itself began just through imitation. So... People would learn how to weave things by watching spiders weave their webs or um, learn how to build by watching a bird build its nest. Um, art itself is, is imitation. Um, it's how culture moves forward as we just keep imitating and copying and mimicking uh, things. Uh, they say imitation is the highest form of flattery. 
and you can imitate somebody. Although my basketball coach didn't like it that much when I would imitate him. Uh, it's a, but it is a foundational aspect of, of being human. Um, it's a foundational aspect of family life. Um, family is, uh, is an imitation. It's an imitation, uh, just the very nature of family is an imitation of the image of God. The nature of family reflects and imitates God's nature as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a family, and he made families in his image. So this morning, we want to look at what it means to imitate God in our family life through our study in the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Um, and we want to look at what God says for our families and gives us instructions. We're going to call this the gospel imitating family. All of us in the room uh, are part of families. Uh, some of us here are parents or grandparents. Uh, all of us are children. We're all children of somebody. And so it'll apply for, for all of us uh, this morning. Uh, we all care deeply about our families. Uh, family is one of the greatest earthly blessings, until it's not, right? Um, it, it's one of the greatest earthly blessings and sources of joy. It provides purpose for our lives. It provides, you know, so much meaning. And yet equally true, in a sinful world, our families can be a great source of pain, um, frustration, longing, fear. And so let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 together. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what God says through Paul. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's God's word. Uh, for those of you who don't know Ephesians very well, Ephesians is a letter uh, written by uh, the Apostle Paul uh, to a church that existed in the first century in the ancient city of Ephesus. It was a group of mostly Gentile or non-Jewish um, converts to Christianity. They'd come to faith in Christ through the missionary work of Paul. Paul planted this church, and so he knows these people. He spent time there, lots of time there. And so when Paul writes this letter, he's not in Ephesus. He's sitting in jail. Um, and he's likely in the city of Rome, and he wrote this letter, and he wrote a few letters kind of all at the same time. One of the letters he also wrote uh, was a letter of Colossians. And so if in your Bible, if you look at Ephesians and you look at the letter of Colossians, they have remarkable similarities to them. There's a lot of very similar content. Now, what I want to do with you in Ephesians a little bit is um, if you were to imagine it like a, a, a carpet, if you turn the carpet over and there's all these threads that sort of weave together to make this beautiful carpet. I just want to focus on like a thread, okay, in, in that. So we're just going to pull a thread out of Ephesians, and we're going to kind of track 
some of Paul's thoughts through this letter uh, in regards to family. Because Paul uses a lot of family language in this letter. Uh, he speaks about the church as a family, and he also speaks um, to individual households. Uh, look at chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Every family gets its name, its identity from God. Every family is created by God and reflects the very image of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. However, though this is the case, the human struggle began, Paul shows us, when mankind uh, became rebellious children and they began to imitate and follow after a different father. Uh, Jesus calls him in another place the father of lies. It's lies. It's uh, Satan. He accused religious leaders in his day of following their father. Uh, here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. So if you go back another chapter, Ephesians 2, verse 1, Paul describes uh, the human condition this way. He says, You were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Children of wrath. Not beloved children, children who walked away, who rebelled, and followed after a different father, and because of that are deserving of punishment. Because God is just. And yet, because God is so loving, he found a way to satisfy his justice and his love through his son Jesus. And here's what he says if you go back another chapter. Go back to chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says that through faith in Jesus, this can all change. He says, in love, in love, God predestined us for adoption as to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, giving us the title of sonship. He adopted us into his family through what Jesus did. His death on the cross redeemed us and brought us into a family through adoption. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the gospel. So because of that, Paul then says, go over to chapter 5. Paul says, therefore... Verse 1, chapter 5, Therefore, because you're adopted children, you're beloved children, be imitators of God as beloved children. Paul says, imitate God. Not because you must earn his favor, but because you now belong to him through Christ. Paul says, you belong to God. He's your father. So do what a, a child does. Imitate your father. Be like him. I mean, isn't that the goal of the Christian life? The whole Christian life, that's the goal. To be 
godly, to be like God, to grow every day to be more like Jesus. The goal is to be godly people by the power of God's Spirit. Uh, when I was growing up, my dad, he would always call my brothers and I, Bub. He'd say, hey, Bub. Uh, how you doing, Bub? Good job, Bub. And uh, he just calls Bub all the time. And my brothers and I, we, we used to just think that was funny. So we would, be, we would call each other Bub as kind of a joke, you know, like, hey, how you doing, Bub? You know, and we laugh. And we still do that to this day. We see each other, we call each other Bub right away. But the funny thing is, I now say Bub all the time without knowing it, right? I just do it. I, I call my kids Bub constantly. And it's because I just, whether I liked it or not, I just began to imitate the image of my dad. There's a lot of other things I imitate of him that I will not share with you. Good, good things, good things, right? Um, in Paul's mind, to imitate God looks a particular way. Uh, one of the ways he identifies, if you look through chapter 5, uh, he shows you a bunch of things, but one of the things he said is to be submissive to one another. And then after he says that, he sort of jumps off of that and begins to talk about our households, our homes, our families. He says, the family members need to practice submission to one another as a reflection of God's own nature. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then he turns to the children, the parents. He says, children, obey and honor your parents. And parents, bring up your children in the way of Jesus. And as you do that, you will imitate God. You'll reflect the gospel. So here's the two points we want to look at today. Number one, children imitate God by obeying and honoring their parents. So we'll look at the purpose for honoring parents and the motivation for honoring parents. Secondly, we'll look at parents. Parents imitate God by nourishing their children by nourishing their children. And we'll look at a grace-filled environment and a Christ-filled education. So let's talk to the kids first. Now, when uh, Paul uses the word children here, he's not using a word that denotes just age. It can, it's the place that you have in your family. So this can apply to any of us who have parents who are, who are living. Um, here's what he says again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. You may live long in the land. In Colossians, the other letter that Paul uh, gives at the same time says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So at this point, all of the people who are still living under their uh, family's household just want to leave the room, right? You, <laughs> what? I got to obey my parents? You don't know what they're like. Well, we're going to talk about that. God has a plan for children in a Christian home. Uh, it is for them to hold their parents in honor through obedience. In fact, like we said, this can also apply once you've left the home. You can still apply not so much the obedience part, but the honor part still is in effect. We can honor our parents who are still living. Throughout the Bible, honoring one's parents is a major theme. Uh, in fact, we see an example Paul uses. He actually quotes the Old Testament here. He quotes from the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, 12. 
He quotes commandment number five, honor your father and mother. That's where he gets that from. I mean, it made the Ten Commandments. <laughs> that should tell us something of its importance. It's a, it's a command that God has for children and he has had for a long time. That ought to convince us its importance. But Paul also says in another letter in 2 Timothy 3, he says that dis, disrespecting our parents, disobedience to parents is a sign of great evil in the last days. You might think, well, that seems like an overreaction. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Eldon was actually sharing um, how a church that he used to pastor, there was a boy there who grew up in their church. Um, not, he's local. This is a local situation. You can look it up in the news. Um, this boy grew up. Uh, he's a young man now, uh, but he is on trial right now for killing his mother. And that's, that's extreme. That's extreme. But that's, how, that's where it can go. This is a church kid. Grew up in church. The word obey means listen up or listen under. Children are under the authority of their parents, and Paul calls them to understand that role and to submit to that authority. We might ask why. <laughs> Why is it so important for God that children obey their earthly parents? What's the purpose for honoring mom and dad? Well, Paul gives an answer in verse 1. He says, it's right. But we still might ask, well, why is it right? Well, we could say, well, it's a command. We talked about that. We could say, well, children are indebted to their parents. I mean, their parents do so much for them, and certainly those are good answers. But what Paul's getting at here is he assumes that these believers no, it is right for another reason. It's right because it's what God himself does. It's right because it's like Jesus. Jesus said in John 8, 49, I honor my father. That's what he said. I honor my father. Speaking of his relationship with God the Father, Children ought to obey, honor their parents because it's right. It's what God does. Jesus obeyed his father, but he didn't just obey his heavenly father. He also, while on earth, obeyed and honored his earthly parents. Uh, there's this great story in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2 where it's the only story we have of Jesus as a, as a child. Like, he's not a baby. He's 12 and uh, they're, they're traveling, his family traveled to uh, Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And um, it's the original Home Alone story, right? You guys know Home Alone, right? Kevin McAllister gets left at home and his you know, parents fly away and then they realize on the plane that, oh no, he left him at home. So that's exactly what happens. They, they, they go to Jerusalem. Uh, they take off with the family. They had a large family and so it was easy for him to get lost, I guess, and and they lose Jesus, and he's left behind in Jerusalem, and they travel for a whole day. A whole day they travel back to Nazareth, and then they finally realize, and Mary has that moment where she looks at the audience and says, Jesus! And then she faints, right? Those of you who've seen Home Alone know exactly what I'm talking about. Probably, probably didn't happen, but... Um, but they realize that he's missing, so they travel a whole other day back, 
And so it's two days, and then they look for him all over the city, and it takes, that's three days now, three days. They haven't seen their, their son Jesus, and they finally find him in the temple grounds. And what's, what's little Jesus doing as he's getting into trouble? No, he's sitting with his teachers and asking them questions. Wow, that just makes you feel sick, right? Like, <laughs> what kid does that? Well, Jesus did. I mean, he was perfect, right? He was God's son. And Mary, she's upset. She says, Jesus, you mistreated, you mistreated me and your dad. And we're anxious. Like, you made us worried sick. And Jesus just says, well, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? You know who I am, right? Like, you know, it's what I'm supposed to do. But they didn't understand what he said to them. Now, just, I, I just... I want to comfort you. If you're here today and you're living under your parents' household or maybe you've had parents who aren't great parents, I just want to comfort you here. This is comfort because the perfect son of God had to live with these lousy parents. I mean, they lose him for three days and when they find him, they blame him. They blame him for losing. You lose himself. They know he's Jesus. They know he can't sin, but they blame him for it. See, it's actually more difficult to follow somebody that you sense is less capable than yourself. That's hard. So don't, don't look at Jesus as it was easy for him to honor his mother and father. They're, they're not perfect parents, and yet he's perfect. And it's hard to follow somebody who's less capable than yourself. For some of you in the room, you may feel that way toward your parents. Your parents aren't perfect. They are sinful, sometimes out of touch. They just do weird things sometimes, right, to you. you. They drive you crazy sometimes. And sometimes you really don't want to imitate your parents, right? We, we say things like that. I don't want to be like my dad or my mom. Or... But as much as Mary and Joseph fumbled the ball as parents, verse 51 of Luke 2 says, he went down with them, came to Nazareth, and was submissive to them. He was submissive to them. Jesus obeyed them. He honored his heavenly father and his earthly parents. It pleases God when children obey and honor their parents. It honors God when you take care of your elderly parents. And care for them and their needs. Because when you do that, you're reflecting and imitating the eternal son who honors the eternal father. In fact, in 1 Timothy Paul says that caring for elderly parents, if you can't do that, he says, you're worse than an unbeliever. Like even a non-Christian knows they ought to do that. But we ought to care for our parents no matter what age and honor them. Uh, it needs to be said that we're never to obey uh, our parents in something sinful. Uh, our ultimate allegiance is to Christ not our parents. We honor our parents insofar as they're leading us in the right direction. It also needs to be said, we honor is this greater principle, right? Uh, for some of us, uh, we're, we're getting older, we're, we've emerged into adulthood, or you've gotten married. Scripture says a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. It says each man, a man must bear his own load. For some parents in the room, you need to be prepared for your role to change as your kids get married or as they go into adulthood. They don't 
obey you in the same way they did when they were under your roof. And so for some of you parents, maybe that's hard a little bit, right? You're always meddling in with the kids. They've gotten older. They've moved on a little bit. And they still need to honor you. But your role in terms of like telling them what to do all the time, that, that has to change. It changes. What's the motivation for obeying and honoring parents? Paul gives us a motivation. He, he says that the command to honor mother and father has a promise attached to it. He says that it may go well with you. You may live long in the land. And so in the Old Testament context, he's talking about the promised land. But in the New Testament context, it's kind of like, what is Paul getting at here? Like, we're not going to the promised land anymore. But likely what he's referring to is the promised land of the new covenant, which is the new heavens and the new earth, eternal life. The assumption is if you have Christian parents and you obey them and they're trying to lead you into that promised land, I mean, it's going to go well for you if you listen to them. It's going to go well for you. You'll be blessed if you listen. Um, let me illustrate that for you. John Newton uh, who lived a couple hundred years ago, he told a story. Now, back in his day, they don't have cars, right? They have uh, carriages, so just bear that in mind as you hear this story. He says, suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate, okay, worth millions of dollars. His carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken. On the way to get a million dollars, my carriage is broken. I mean, isn't that like a picture of like your life right now sometimes, kids, students? Like your mom comes into your room, hey, you know, I think you need to get off the phone for a little while, you know. What? You don't love me. You know, like, they're, they're, they're trying to protect you. Like, they're trying, to, they're trying to lead you into life. And you're just upset about this little thing. And they're trying to lead you into something so much greater. Do you see that? Now, look, some of you, you're like, yeah, but, I mean, my parents maybe aren't Christians. Or my, my parents are not really great parents. But you know what? You're still blessed to honor them because that's what God does. And he will see what you're doing and he will bless you. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Proverbs 10.1. All right, parents' turn. Parents, uh, let's look back at the text. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3.21 adds, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Lest they become discouraged. Um, sometimes uh, my wife, Jessica, uh, she'll leave the house and she'll leave me a note um, to remind me of something that we need to do. So, and usually the note is just a reminder. It's just a reminder of a previous conversation that we had. So, you know, we were talking about needing groceries and don't forget the muffins, you know. And then, uh, you know, we had this big, long conversation. And then all I get in the little note, though, is like, remember the muffins, okay? So, okay. Well, th that, that picture is kind of what's happening here in Ephesians. So, Paul says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but he's assuming that you have heard all the other stuff he said earlier about anger. 
So if you look back at chapter 4, look back at chapter 4, verse 26, Paul says this. He says, be angry and do not sin. Isn't that possible? That's a cool verse, right? It's possible to be angry and not sin. We're going to feel angry sometimes, right, parents? I mean, you get angry at your kids. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In verse 31, a little bit down, he says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, fighting in the house, slander, like name-calling, be put away from you, along with all malice, getting back at people. Don't let that be the culture of your home. Be kind to one another, he says. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Paul says, in effect, parents, you remember all that I taught you about angry, anger and bitterness and all those things? He says, do not provoke that in your kids. The culture of your home ought not to be a culture where your kids are becoming bitter and resentful and lashing out because of the example their parents have set for them. These are incredible words from Paul because he wrote them in a time when Roman fathers had something that they called the power of the father. In the ancient world, fathers had the power to sell their children into slavery, uh, to decide if they lived or died. For whatever reason they saw fit, they could do this. Children in the ancient world were treated awfully, terribly. Infanticide was widely practiced. It's not just abortion, this is infanticide when they were already born. Widely practiced, children were often abused and forgotten, which, by the way, the Christian church is responsible for eradicating in ancient Rome. Paul's call to parents is radical then. He doesn't want us to harm our children in any way. He wants us to parent according to what is not, not acceptable around us, but according to the gospel. Create a gospel culture, a grace-filled environment in our homes that is marked with love, Kindness, tender heart, forgiveness, discipline. Yes, we're going to get there. But there are many ways we can exasperate or provoke our children to anger and discouragement. We can do it through overprotection, through excessive control, through showing favoritism, through threatening, through neglect, through verbal or physical abuse, through name-calling, through lack of encouragement, through lack of physical or emotional affection, or through lack of discipline. Um, even last night, I, I was taking our kids skating, and, and uh, we're out on the rink, and, and uh, my son, you know, I'm trying to teach him how to skate, and he's just like, he just won't listen to me. He just won't listen to anything I have to say, and I can feel the anger and the frustration welling up in me, and then I just remembered that I have to speak to all of you this morning, so um, it's, really, it's edifying for me. Um, and I was like, just relax, Chris. <laughs> just, just stop trying to control everything he's doing. He's having fun. And, you know, I just backed off, and, and it just was wonderful to see just him flop around but have a great time. He doesn't need to be in the NHL, right? Like, he's having fun. Uh, what about religious abuse? Um, in a moment, we'll look at Paul's words about nourishing our children in the training and instruction of the Lord. But one of the pitfalls is that parents will exasperate their kids with the instruction of the Lord. 
You ever done that? Use the Bible as a way to sort of guilt trip your kids more than teach them. Uh, We use God language to justify it like, well, God wouldn't treat your sister like that. What would God think of your behavior, young man? Sort of a guilt trip. Uh, We can turn family devotions into a lifeless chore. Kids start to, "Uh, I don't want to talk about God. Because it's just not exciting for them. It's not a joy-filled thing. I have to confess to you as your children and family pastor, I I practice family devotions and man, I have had some not so great moments as a dad. My kids are just not listening and I just get frustrated and I just, ah, go to your room. And the whole thing's blown because dad blew up and now they're associating Bible with dad yelling. But there's grace. You know, you can apologize and your kids are so forgiving. But we, God is gracious, we can get back on, we can, we can do it, but why do we do it? Why do we exasperate our kids? It depends on how we're provoking them. You know, if, if we're neglecting our kids, maybe it's we're overworked. Maybe it's because we can't put the phone down and pay attention to them. If we're getting angry at our kids, it may be that we're trying to control them or change them. The point is, by reminding parents to not exasperate or cause discouragement in their children, Paul is inviting parents to deal with their own sin as an example before they can commit to true parenting. Like if you're finding yourself just in sin, and you, but you know you got to be a good parent, you, you might as well deal with your sin first before you can go and parent. That's the point. Perhaps you've been in this scenario where... Uh, you're sitting at home, maybe you've got, you know, a coffee or tea, getting comfortable reading a book, or you're on your phone looking at something cool, and you hear yelling upstairs. <clears throat> They're bickering, and they yell down at you, Dad, we need your help. And you don't want to leave your moment, and you're comfortable, and so you do what every good parent does. You yell, Stop yelling! You ever done that? What's what's going on when you do that? Uh, You've told your kids about your displeasure of yelling, and yet you've modeled the very opposite. Your kids are going to learn something from you there. Dad's a bit of a hypocrite. (laughs) In that same way, unless we're committed to following Jesus ourselves, we'll not be able to disciple our kids. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. We can become very concerned about making sure our kids are reading the Bible, but neglect our own Bible reading. We can expect our kids to live pure lives, especially in high school. Oh, we want you to live pure. We're trying to protect you. And yet you're looking at stuff on the internet that you shouldn't be. That won't do. Before we can have authentic child discipleship, we need authentic discipleship of ourselves. The first step is repentance if we're off track, and then obedience to Christ. God wants to create a grace-filled environment, and he does that by you dealing with your own heart, parents, first. Secondly, though, he wants a Christ-filled education. After he warns parents not to provoke children to anger, Paul says, bring them up. And the word there means to nourish. means to nourish them, feed them good stuff like nourishing stuff. 
He gives them two ways. He says, discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, what does that mean? I mean, it sounds nice. What's he saying? Paul's saying, give them a Christ-filled education. Teach them Christian truth. Correct them when they go astray. The word discipline carries the idea of education. We call it formative discipline, right? You're forming them. You're, you're telling them the right way. And we do that with God's word because Paul uses that same word when he talks about the effect that God's word has on us in 2 Timothy 3. He says God's inspired word trains us. It disciplines us so that we can do every good work. So parents are to train, to help train their children, to educate them in the words and the ways of Christ. The word instruction that he uses can also be translated as admonition. It carries the idea of corrective discipline. So the idea is when they start to leave that way, that you bring them back. You correct their sin. You discipline them for wrongful behavior and attitudes. Not just behavior. Watch for attitudes. It's about the heart. It's not just about what they do on the outside. It's about what's going on in the heart. What Paul is chiefly concerned about is that parents be God's tool, a steward, not an owner. You're a steward of these children, these precious children that God has given you to, to lead them into the way of Christ. And if you're wondering again what that looks like, Paul again is assuming you've read chapter 4 and 5 of Ephesians, so go back and look at that. Because he contrasts the way that the Gentiles live with the way that we ought to live as a new gospel people. And just as you've learned how to live in Christ, show your children that same path, he says. So there's two pitfalls, okay? There's two pitfalls here. One pitfall is that parents will seek to teach their children without modeling the Christian life themselves. And that's just hypocrisy, right? Probably a worse thing. But the second pitfall, maybe more likely, is that you'll model the Christian life really well, but you never open your mouth and teach your children the gospel in a robust way. Kids are smart. They can get a lot more than just Jesus loves me. There's a lot to teach them. I want to give you an example of what I mean. A few years ago, a mother wrote into the Washington Post. I don't know why she wrote the Washington Post about this, but she did. She was distraught about her 16-year-old daughter who had announced that she was going to become an atheist. The mother expressed her concern that her daughter would no longer embrace what she called Christian values. She wanted her daughter to have these values. Now, seminary president Al Mohler wrote a, a response piece, and he voiced concern over this term, Christian values, and he suggested that it might be part of the problem. Here's what he said. Parents who raise their children with nothing more than Christian values should not be surprised when their children abandon those values. If the child or young person does not have a firm commitment to Christ and to the truth of the Christian faith, Values will have no binding authority, and we should not expect that they would. Most of our neighbors have some commitment to Christian values, but what they desperately need is salvation from their sins. This does not come by Christian values. 
No matter how fervently held, salvation comes by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Human beings are natural-born moralists. Moralism is the most potent of all the false gospels. The language of values is the language of moralism and cultural Protestantism. This is the religion that produces cultural Christians. Cultural Christianity soon dissipates into atheism, agnosticism, and other forms of non-belief. Cultural Christianity is the great denomination of moralism. And far too many church folk fail to recognize that their own religion is only cultural Christianity. Not the genuine Christian faith. Brothers and sisters, God wants us to pass on to our children the genuine Christian faith. Not just Christian values. That's what he's concerned about. Jesus will not hold you responsible for whether or not they ultimately embrace that faith but he will hold us responsible for whether or not we sought to pass the baton of the gospel through discipline and instruction. For those of you who have a child who's wandered away, it's not too late. Don't give up. Don't give up praying for them. Don't give up waiting for them to come home and make sure they have a home to come back to. The story's not over. God knows what it's like to have children who have wandered. And he knows what you're going through as well. So my encouragement to you this weekend, as you have extra time together as a family, would be to open God's word together. Show your children who their real authority is. It's Jesus. Delight in the gospel together. And if you have parents around, seek to show them honor in some way as your mother and father. In other words, imitate God as dearly loved children. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, God, we confess our sin to you, both as children and as parents. And God, we thank you that you are a merciful Father. God, as we look to you, Lord, we, we know we have a wonderful Father that we can go to. And Lord, I pray for my friends here, Lord, who are parents, that God, you would encourage them, challenge them, Lord, to take that responsibility seriously. Father, give them wisdom for the road ahead. Help them to make the changes that are necessary, Lord, in their lives so that they can parent well. And Father, for those of us who need to honor mother and father, uh, God, help us to do that as well. And Father, for those where this is a hard word, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, you would give them much grace. We thank you, God, for who you are. And that, Lord, even though we have regrets about things in the past, that, Lord, you can cover those with your blood. So we thank you, Jesus, for your love for us and this day in your name. Amen.